I want to ask you something. That okay, let's I'm get straight sh- into you I'm, grilling me. I am actually not sure if we've ever discussed this. Mm-hmm. Are you a Sex in the City person? No. Did you ever watch it? Oh, yeah, I've watched bits of it. Yeah. Okay, and what, what is it that you're not, you know, into? Oh, I don't know. Like, it's pretty good popcorn. I think I watched, you know, I've, I've watched episodes of it and always found it, you know, diverting. But I think in the end, I don't know, because, like, and specifically as I get older, I think I am much more dependent on my female friendships. And the thing, I get that about the premise but I also don't like the way they get sort of sorted into the slut, right. the, the nun, right. the bitch, and the whatever Sarah Jessica, Jessica Parker is. You know? Right. So that annoys me a bit. Yeah, look, I was a l- very late comer to it. I remember. Um, Which one are you? Are you the, oh, the I'd slut, be. aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Um, it was funny. I was listening to something this morning. They were talking about what diva star are you born under. Like uh-huh. in the same way that you're born under a you know horoscope, you, all women are born under a diva star. And I was like, yeah, I'm born under the Barbara Streisand diva star. Oh god, <laughs> don't know which one you'd be well, born lot, under. I don't know. There's a lot of ways to go with Babs, though. I mean, you know, you can really. I love her. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I love her. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I was a late comer to Sex in the City because. I don't know, sort of probably for the same reasons you just articulated. I was just not really that into it. Um, I found the Carrie character a bit annoying um, and I remember I lived in Washington when the final season was on and Lisa Miller was a huge, huge devotee of it and so she wanted somebody to watch, you know, the sort of finale with and so I got roped in. <laughs> Poor Lisa. Um, anyway, so I sort of, you know, went along with it good-naturedly to, to um, help out Lisa. But uh, then, I don't know, maybe oh, probably around 2009, 2010, I watched from the start. Right, okay. And then I don't – I'm not like one of those people that feels completely, you know, in love with it, but I enjoy it when I right. watch it. I think it's extremely well written um, and it makes me laugh. And I, it's sort of like Seinfeld where I know all of the characters now so well that I can sort of watch literally any episode and yeah. it just feels like comfort food kind of thing. Anyway, somebody um, put me onto this podcast. It's um, the podcast called Sentimental Garbage, and they've right. got a sequence of episodes called called Sentimental in the City. Huh. Do- Dolly Alderton is one of the oh, um, people. Okay, it's two writer, two female writers, and they discuss. There's seven episodes, and they discuss. Each episode is about a season of Sex in the City, and the way they describe it is that we are discussing Sex in the City as the great American novel that it truly is. And so they discuss oh basically each season via theme. Um, and so it'll be about, you know, Shoes. loss or acceptance right. or, you know, whatever. Um, and as you know, one of my very favourite things is hearing extremely intelligent, witty uh, people Discuss talk trash. about trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's right up my alley. So I'm absolutely loving it. And so there's been, it's, I'm finding it, riveting and it's funny and it's making me laugh aloud and I love the the interaction between the two women um Caroline and Dolly who hosted is awesome um and it's just well Dolly's terrific and I recommend her book um everything I know about love just by the by um they they sort of use the content of the show as a springboard to share observations about life and that kind of stuff. And because they're so bright and intelligent, they share lots of amazing stuff. But there's a couple of things that, I mean, there's many things that have stuck You've with me. You've got notes. I've it. got some You've notes because there were a few things that stuck with me. <laughs> Carol, Caroline's talking about um, how, because they're both writers, she's talking about all writers have a writer who lives in their head hmm. and she describes the writer in your head as a sock puppet animated by your own <laughs> self-loathing. <laughs> 
just thought, oh, that is so true. I can see that little bitch in my head just bagging away about how useless and how embarrassing I am and how dreadful my work is. No, that's me, mate. So does that have curly hair? <laughs> so that was great. Good morning, idiot. And they also talk about, because they're bright, they they bring an interpretation to things. They both are massive devotees of Sex and the City. They love it. And they say that their sort of catchphrase is, we don't know the most about Sex and the City, but we feel the most about Sex and the City. Um, So they... They bring observations to it, like they talk about anyone that's watched this show knows the sort of central relationship that that other than the four women that runs through the whole thing is Carrie and Mr Big. Oh and- God! Which I mean, can I just interrupt to say that is the most balls aching plot line. Just like <laughs> I mean, he just shows up every now and again in a limo with a you know Manhattan or something. He's so sexy. And I've, oh, Lee, <laughs> really? Yeah, he's hot as. Okay, so you're just saying like he's hot because, you know, like if you ran into him at a bus stop or is it the kind of no. like dickwad moves that he pulls? It's the dickwad moves. Oh, he my God. I just I can't <laughs> be friends with you. Every time I just think, so this is, I think this is actually my essential problem, I think. You've got a perfectly nice group of friends. Why haven't they just made you stop seeing that guy? Uh do, do you think that any group of friends uh, in history has ever been able to stop no. somebody seeing someone who's bad for them? No. <laughs> no. Um, she, there also, was a, I hate the typing on the bed shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, oh, she was I, typing something like the other day and I was like... a very sore neck working like that, And so love. I got to thinking. Yeah. She was typing something the other day and she was sitting in a most awkward position. It was like, there's no... no also, who gets, to work, where, who gets to write a column where it's just like, oh, so anyway, I was in the elevator the other day and blah, I'm blah, blah. surprised you don't like it for the clothes and the outfits. It's spectacular. Sure, like, that's, that's what I like it for. Yeah. Sure, um, I'm happy to deal with it for that. The other... Th- oh, just for anyone, this won't relate to you, but... Also, how but, does someone who writes a once-a-week column keep themselves in, you know, Dolce <laughs> and Gabbana? I will never understand that. Lacks plausibility. <laughs> this analysis isn't going to appeal to you, so I'm just talking through you to okay. our listeners. Okay. <laughs> um, the, in, they're talking about season one and they bring, like when I've watched it, I guess I'm sort of watching it from, and it's written, oh, of course, from the Carrie. By, you know, held Lisa. by Lisa Miller. Um, I'm watching it from, I guess, the Carrie perspective. Um, anyway, you two are a tutu wearing, you know, bed <laughs> yeah, typing. That's right. Exactly. Curly head. Um, anyway, uh, one of the girls, Caroline, has a friend who watches season one of Sex in the City and she describes the Carrie big relationship as, why won't she just leave the poor man alone? <laughs> sort of, it completely changed my sense of, oh, that's right, yeah, Carrie's sort of needy and annoying, isn't she? And he's just trying to watch the telly and she's being so annoying. And, he's just trying you know. to diddle supermodels on the side and, you know. But one of the other things that stuck with me, which I don't know if it's true or not, but they were talking about, um, they got off talking about um, this sort of show and they were talking about empathy and stuff. And one of the um, podcast hosts said that, and I found this fascinating and really interesting, you know how we always talk about, you know, our, our difficulty saying no to things and how we feel drained because we do end up doing stuff we don't really want to do? Yeah. She said she was referring to this study that was done into empathy um, and what they discovered was the most empathetic people are people who have strong boundaries because they're not being depleted by unnecessary giving an obligation that they don't need to do. Oh, okay. And so it means that they have more in the tank to be genuinely empathetic because they haven't been drained by saying yes to things or being um, swamped by stuff that's actually 
not important. So how does that work? You're like, I'm truly empathetic uh, for you and no, I will not come and speak. Yeah, well, that's where the... No, I I guess it's like, um, you know, (laughs) prioritising like, okay, I have to be there for my friends. So when this person on the periphery asks me to do something, I am going to say no to that because I need to be more available to people that I care about or I need to prioritise things better. And so instead of finding yourself like, oh, God, I've agreed to, you know, blurb this book because I felt obligated because it was my sister's friend who wanted me to do it. you just got to be better at saying um, no. No, I'm going to go and do something truly yeah. nice for Or having boundaries like that I do know. say if, if um, you know, somebody rings you and you've been looking forward to, you just want to have a bubble bath to, um, you know, relax and somebody rings you and you feel like, no, oh, I better take that call because I didn't return the call the other day. Well, actually just put that on ice and have the bath and get your because you put some boundaries up, right? Yeah, because right. you what you needed to get some gas in your own tank. So anyway, I just it was quite interesting the way that they expressed it. And so so I'm where, just where was it, it you saw this? I was busy responding to a text message asking me to do something while you outlined it. So. <laughs> no, uh, oh, it's senti- it, that was in the sentimental in the city um, podcast oh, they were talking about that. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so for anyone who if you're if you're a massive fan of Sex in the City and you and you're listening to this podcast because I think their energy is a little bit right. like ours in some ways, um, I think sentimental in the city would be a podcast podcast that you would extremely enjoy so yeah I've got two postscripts about Sex and the City yeah one is that when we in the first series of um uh Kitchen Cabinet went to Julie Bishop's apartment in Canberra where she used to do a bunch of quite unusual things including only keeping exercise clothes there and keeping her work clothes at the office at Parliament House so that she would always have to run into work oh right which I thought was very mixed up at the really? time. But I think it's very sensible. Yeah, I knew you would think that was sensible. But, yeah, I think I now as I kind of, now that I'm a runner, I'm not anymore. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I remember that's one of the things that I really remember. That's probably the most obnoxious thing anyone could say other than now that I'm a mother. <laughs> now that I'm a mother, I feel. God, oh, by the annoying. way, I've just been, I've also been reading Rachel Cusk's a really early um book of hers called A Life's Work, which is her account of um, getting pregnant and having a baby. Oh, my God, it's absolutely scorching. And I will tell you about it another time because okay. I cannot get distracted here because I'm going to run you off the rails <laughs> of timing, which I know is very relevant for you today. Um, but um, the things that I remember about that flat, which she doesn't live in anymore, Julie Bishop, that is, is that um, one, she had like a bowl full of more fruit than I've ever seen in my life because it was just after the Julia Gillard yep. fruit bowl thing. And I thought... That's thinking ahead. Yep. Um, but also she had two DVDs in her um, apartment and one of them was Great Speeches of the 20th Century yeah. and the other was Sex and the City, the, the, <laughs> like the box set. <laughs> and the producer that I was working with at the time, Madeline, a great friend of mine, said, oh, you're probably going to have to ask her which one she'd be. And I'm like, I'm not asking her which Sex and the City. <laughs> and then during the interview I'm like, so which one would you be? <laughs> what did most, she say? Uh... God, I can't actually remember. I think she thought she'd I can't uh, no, I can't actually remember because I was so uninterested in answering asking the question. So yeah. essentially it was comedy because I asked it in such a kind of, you know, woebegone way that it's always been a bit of a joke between me and Mads that, you know, it's I, a really when when forced to ask a question against my will, I always do a really bad job of it. And I can't even remember what she said. To be honest, it's a pretty boring question. Sorry, Madge, sure. because um, it's Take no, that, Mads, nobody's I was right. Nobody's any one of those characters because yeah, that, that show is as much yeah. of a fantasy as um, you know Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. Like it's utter fantasy. But yeah. if you watch it on that level, then it's completely yeah. um, fine. But yeah, anyway, the I, other I point like that I want to make about um, about. Uh, 
Sex and the City or by extension, Sarah Jessica Parker, who I do, I must say, really admire. I really love her as an actor. Oh, I love yeah, her she's as a great. survivor. I love her, you know, um, and I remember the first thing I ever saw her in, which I still am now thinking I might go back and watch again, which is Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Oh, that's the first the thing movie, I ever saw her in. Right? Oh and God, she was a gymnast yeah. going to a, like a Catholic girls' school or something and her dad was a, like in the army and wouldn't let her go out. Is Paul Rudd in that as well? Uh, I don't know, but Helen Hunt's in that. Wow. Helen Hunt is her, oh, like, yes, that's is right. her naughty friend. Yes. And she goes into this dance competition and, of course, it's, <laughs> it's like it's essentially it's a little bit like, you know, Kevin Bacon, you know, the weather not allowed to dance. Footloose, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the same idea, but, oh, my God, She's so good in that. And Helen Hunt, who I've always just carried a real torch for. Look, I've watched a few episodes of Sex and the City just to – because when they get – there's a few episodes they dive into a bit deeply and so I've watched them to refresh my memory. And it, I am struck by how excellent Sarah Jessica Parker yeah. is. Like she's one of those actors in that role that you feel like – Carrie Bradshaw is actually a real person. Like yeah. I think I've said to you before, when The Sopranos ended, I would find myself and when um, um, what's that football show we both like? Oh, Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. What's Coach up to right yeah, now? Yeah, what's wonder what Coach and Tammy are up to. I'd think, oh, I wonder what Carmela Soprano's up to. Like Carrie Bradshaw to me feels yeah. like a person who would still exist. Like she just feels like a real sort of human. <laughs> like, and that's because Sarah Jessica Parker brings such a sort of rich kind of performance to that role. Do you know how many years ago Girls Just Want to Have Fun was made? Oh my god. I'm, okay, I'm going to say it was 1987. Oh, 1985, so um, 37 years ago. Far out, man. Yep. Maybe it's Patrick Dempsey who I'm thinking of in that film. Um, Hang on a second. While you have a googly of that, um, you know, I told you I've just been doing a lot of re-watching of stuff. Lee Montgomery. Oh, okay. Don't know who that is. Mm, He's the love interest, I think. Um, you know, I've told you I've been re-watching things. Yeah. As well as Master of None that I talked yeah. about last episode, I also have re-watched all four seasons of Please Like Me, which I know you still haven't watched, have you? Even though I've told you 80,000 times to watch it because you're a wretch. I refuse to answer on the grounds that I might incriminate myself. <laughs> it is also, um, can I just, if you haven't watched it, uh, it's absolutely so well written and so well acted and all of those people also feel completely like real people to I really me. hate myself for not having seen it. Like, could I watch it with Audrey? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I remember when I first watched it without giving any spoilers, I was so oh. affected by a particular episode yeah, that I, I, I that. even the mere mention of it made me cry and yeah. I reckon I cried for about three days after I saw it. I was utterly blindsided and smashed by it. What series is that in? Um, Three? The last season, last season, four. Um, I... I was really sort of dreading the arrival of it, thinking, oh, Jesus, because it, it affected me so badly last time. I thought, is it going to uh, get me again like it did? And it, it, it certainly was sad. I did, it didn't decimate me like the first time I saw it. Um, but, oh, God, it's just it's so well done. I felt like I was able to watch it a bit more, study how are they doing this. Um, and, yeah, it's just they, they really, Josh, Josh lo- Thomas, Tom Ward I love when it. you are feeling like, because I actually, I think like you, sometimes go back to things when I'm feeling really stressed out and I've got a lot of stuff on and I think, okay, I'll, t- I'll take in something that I've, I've seen before, read before and loved. But I love that you go back to a site of intense emotional violence for <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> like, yeah. well, last time I saw this, it made me cry for three days and given them a little strung out right now. I, I, I was a bit there? worried. I was sort of dre- <laughs> dreading it. But then I've, there's a couple of other things I've rewatched as well that are um, just 
Yeah, I don't, I don't honestly know. Sometimes my choices are so strange. I've rewatched Singing in the Rain <laughs> just because I wanted to inflict it on somebody who hadn't seen it. Um, and that just makes me so happy. It's just such a flawless piece of work. And I just love Jane Kelly so, so, so much. Um, and I don't even know what made me watch this, but did you ever watch the film Primal Fear? It was the first film that made Edward Norton famous. Oh. It's a. It's, How would I not have seen that if Ed Norton's in it? Because I love him you, so much. You must have. If Richard Gere was. I think he was nominated is for it an a bit Oscar of a, for is it. Is it a bit of a horror or a tense it's kind a, of thriller? So Richard Gere's this. Um, defence lawyer oh, in New York. Yeah, I've got no bit, time for him. Like we, he's got the eyes of a llama. <laughs> Just he's all gooey. No, next. <laughs> He's like, you know, like those, what are those, um, I saw some at the Royal Easter show last, you know, recently. You know, what are those, alpaca? He's like, I've always, alpaca felt, I've always felt that he's a little bit rodent-like in his appearance. Okay, a rodent um, with alpaca, with the eyes of an alpaca. <laughs> yeah, he's not, because, you know, he's very, he's very famous as being, you know, sort of hot and handsome. But uh, to be honest, he's never really done it for me. I don't love that kind of sort of. He's got a smarmy quality that I don't really super like. Super smarmy. Give yeah. me Gabrielle Byrne any time. Oh, totally agree. Yeah, Hard to agree. Um, so it's anyway. Richard Gere's a defence lawyer and in New York and it's all, or is it Chicago? Anyway, they're all very sort of connected. Uh, it's one of those things where it's all the, pa- the lots of corruption at the sort of elite levels Ooh, of I power. Do like those. And um, the local cardinal gets mur- is found murdered, Ooh. and Edward Norton's arrested straight away, basically covered in blood and fleeing the site and stuff like this. And oh, and he's a he's a boy, right? Like, yeah, that's right. He's young, oh, yeah, okay. and he's this sort of kid with a sort of stutter and this real anxiety and nerves. And um, Richard oh, Gibb, yeah, Richard Gibb. Is his defence lawyer, and then there's it's sort of there's a twist sort of towards the at the oh, end. Oh yeah, I remember. Now. Yeah, you remember the twist? Yeah, um, everyone remembers the twist in that film. Um, and Edward Norton, everyone was like blown away by Edward Norton's That's acting right. in it. Anyway, I rewatched it, and it was yeah, it did. Uh, it it was an enjoyable like, film, which felt so 1980s. Why did you do that? I do not know. I just had it. I clearly at some point had put it in my Netflix favourites list to watch, and I saw it, and I just thought, yeah, you know what. That'll be all right. And so I just sat in bed late, late one night watching it. Do you know what I saw for the first time the other day? What? Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Mean oh, Girls. the Tina Fey film. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. With um Lindsay Lohan? Exactly. Was it any good? I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah, it was great, actually. And my 14-year-old daughter showed it. She was like appalled that I hadn't seen it. She's right. like, Mum, it's like you have to have seen it. It's yeah. like Part of the canon. <laughs> <laughs> and so is it funny and good? And So it's this new girl uh, who is Lindsay Lohan who arrives at a high school and she's um, been homeschooled all her life. Her parents have been working on location in Africa or something and she turns up at this American high school and she's got no idea about how high schools work or anything and she's sort of um, befriended first by this sort of pair of Slight outsiders, very, like, kooky, funny um, people. And then she's kind of, like, courted by the plastics who are these, like, oh, yeah. incredibly rich, yeah. ridiculous girls. And it kind of goes on into this sort of she's pulled in either direction because she agrees to hang out with the plastics as an anthropological experiment so she can report back to her new friends what assholes these sort of jerk girls are and then she kind of gets drawn in and it gets messy and it's kind of like it is um a kind of a shakespearean kind of um um it's reminding me of clueless it is a bit like that um it's kind of like uh but it's 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 
extremely based apparently on a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes. Oh, which yeah. Was about, like, I think I've read that. High school social cliques. Yeah. Uh, a woman called Rosalind Wiseman. I'm sure I've read that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was great. And it was kind of like, it still has that kind of old movie vibe, even though it's like really only 15 years old. Yeah. It's still like, it feels a bit dated, but it's kind of like, like, I think any portrayal of um, American high schools is sort of a bit different now. I don't know. But anyway, it was um, certainly very, uh, very fun, particularly to watch with a legit teenager. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I've just started reading, you know, I'm a big fan of Sam Mack, the, yeah. the Sunrise Weatherman. He's written a book, right? He has, yeah. It's called Accidental Weatherman. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's... So I think I've talked about Sam before as being, in yeah. my view, a community service. I, be- I believe he provides a community service, which and the service is not weather. The service is he's just this little sort of ray of sunshine who does funny sort of self-deprecating things and goes around the place meeting people and just is just, I don't know, just gives a sort of bit like Hamish and Andy. I feel like he gives a wholesome laugh that's not yep. at anyone's expense yep. other than perhaps his own from time to time um, or quite often at his own expense. And he's also... Um, Something I really like in people and I think is really appealing is sort of authenticity, particularly when that authenticity is quite daggy. And Sam is yeah. really quite daggy. He's got a cat that's all, he's always got in his social media material and stuff. I don't I don't watch Sunrise very often because I don't have time to watch morning TV, but so I mostly follow him via his social media and his little videos mm. that he does. Anyway, so Accidental Weatherman is basically a bit of a thing about how did he come to be doing when he knows nothing about weather, how did he become to be the weatherman on Sunrise and how does he approach the job and the kind of he, he travels extensively but around do, does Australia. Does he do the whole point to the chart and the barometric pressures and um, stuff like that? <laughs> he so often there must forgets be actual to do meteorologists it. out there just going, I, "Why?" I think he um, they, I think he basically just points to packages that then sum up like what's going on in the wow. weather. Yeah. So he gets to be a meteorologist without actually being a meteorologist. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he, Sam would say he's anywhere near a meteorologist. <laughs> but he said sometimes even if he gets to like throw to the actual weather bit of his segment because <laughs> he's so obsessed with you know chatting to people or whatever. Anyway, it's so the book sort of if you if you like Sam and you are a fan of his shtick, it's sort of just a bit of the behind the scenes because it actually one of the things that strikes me when I look at his um, stuff is oh, my God, the amount of work that goes into these segments because every day is a different kind of location and a different setting and different set pieces. And he and his producer, who's a guy named Sean, who um, they call the human emoji because he's got a very round sort of expressive (laughs) face, Um, uh, they just must work like demons to get that segment as high quality as it is all the time and uh so it's a bit of a behind the scenes sort of look at I guess breakfast television and how that works plus um just a bit of an insight into his personality and how he views things so for example he every person that sends him a direct message on social media or contacts him or emails him he replies to every single one of them which I just knowing myself the volume of stuff I get I I I am stunned that he is able to actually do that. He's very funny on Instagram. I I followed him after you, well, let's face it, you completely nagged me. He's got 138,000 followers on Instagram. He just makes you feel good. Oh, and look at this. He's done a singing in the rain photo shoot. What else do people have in common? That's very funny. No, he's, um, he's just... Whenever I watch whatever he's doing, he just makes me feel good for 30 seconds or whatever. I think he's just, that's why I say he gives a community service. 
Uh, well, that is worth two seconds of anybody's time at the very least. But also, like, imagine having the gall to turn your lack of expertise into a book. <laughs> Speaking of which, have <laughs> you pre-ordered ours yet, people? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It, there's a bit of a people in glass houses moment here. Yes. Have we mentioned our forthcoming tome? Well, hello. Actually, we haven't said well, hello at this Well, uh, I know. Now we've abandoned the custom now that we've turned it into merch, as is, you know, customary. Uh, um, has your boyfriend, Yotamata Lenghi, got a new book? Uh, I'm sorry. You Does just he? mentioned Yotamata <laughs> I just moaned. Does he um, have a new book? I don't. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe he does. No, hang on. Okay. I just want to get... Well, no. just because um, I very happily had the people at Essential <gasps> Ingredient the other day sent me this box of Yotam uh, ingredients, like all the stuff that drives me absolutely insane because I can't find it anywhere, um, you know, like your black garlic and your... And your, you and know, your, this kind of chipotle and yeah, this kind of, yeah, you know... Just this kind poblano, of chilli and yeah. just all that stuff that I find really Rose annoying, Harissa. which is the reason I like... Um, um, simple, the best of his cookbooks because it's the one that has the least of that short kind attention of stuff. span, and you lack the commitment and the guts. That's uh, your problem. I can't. But see. yeah, no, no. Um, now, um, I yeah, so I, I just got the same was... thing um, yeah. from these people at Essential Ingredient, um, and uh, so that's the disclosure. We both received a free box of stuff, but when I opened it, I thought this is incredibly smart kind of marketing, really. I mean, A, to send it to us because we're out of control and we'll certainly talk about it on the podcast, but also um, because that is the issue that some people have with the Ottolenghi books, what a good I think they sell these boxes or packs of, you know, yeah. your field guide to Ottolenghi ingredients. So what a good present idea to give someone like, you know, an Ottolenghi book and then, oh, by the way, here's a shoebox full of the bullshit that you won't have in your cupboard. It's really, <laughs> yes. it's really smart. <laughs> Flavour was his last book, which was the one that came yeah. out last year. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um... Well, Flavour's got lots of ingredients in it, trickiness. I was, I nearly wept with delight when I unwrapped the Rosa Rissa, I've got to say, because I used to use that a bit when I lived in London. There was this one brand of just amazing Rose Rissa and you can't get it here, but you can get this other brand. There's in our forthcoming book. They are not our advertisers, let me say. This is not Harissa for comment. They just very kindly sent us a box of stuff. I thought that's very (laughs) clever. Harissa for comment. When, um, (laughs) when, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, when our. When our. Receive free dried goods. (laughs) When our. When our forthcoming um, book. well, hello comes out available for pre-order now from wherever you buy books. Um, there's a section where website. I've gone through uh, some of your recipes and made some improvements. And one of the things that I've poked fun at, in a, in a loving way, in a loving I've read way, it. I it's not it, that loving. Is um, your use of a cheese called like kefalogravia or something? Is that how? What's it called? You can't see this, but I'm just leveling such a <laughs> she's glaring gaze at me. of hate at you. It's called kefala graviera. That's it's a it. Greek cheese, oh, sheep's gosh. milk, hard, and it is like it's the cheese that they fry for you at Greek restaurants and call it saganaki. So it's kind oh, yeah. of like halloumi but less rubbery. Right. And when you fry it, it's like the toasty bits at the side of a jaffle that spill out and get all crunchy and, like, that's the taste of it. And is it in coals or...? Actually... More and more supermarkets now carry it. You can certainly get it at Harris Farm. Oh, my God, this is just turning into a, like a posh food endorsement fest. Just, I think yeah. they've got it at KFC. <laughs> <laughs> they've got it 
at the kind of, you know, um, kind of Mediterranean grocery place up the road from me. Anyway, so, I, poke, I poke a lot of fun there. You, I think I've replaced um, it with bacon. Once you, <laughs> have you, I'm sure I've made, right, I'm bringing, I'm making, I make this thing for Murph sometimes called gluten-free fluffins. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they're like muffins, but they don't have any flour in them. Right. And they've got, I'll have to post the recipe on the group now, but um, they're kind of zucchini, mint, peas, ricotta, heaps and heaps of this delicious cheese and, uh, you know, eggs and maybe like a half a cup of gluten-free flour. And they kind of souffle up. Oh. And because of this amazing cheese that you refuse to learn the name of, <laughs> they are just incredibly piquant and kind of delicious. And I'm going to make some. I'm going to drop them round and I'm going to shove them in your cake <laughs> hole. I'm going to be a convert to your posh cheese. Yeah. Um, um, one hey, last thing about the book. Yes. The favourite thing that you have said to me after reading the manuscript of this book, which we just sort of went like, does this sound like a shit idea? Could be a shit idea. Um, is that you, when you first read through the manuscript, which was like brilliantly pulled together by Miranda Murphy and like the only reason that it's any good is essentially Miranda. Um, Can I say what I said so that I'm certain yeah. that you say it right? I said, I said, you know, I've always thought when we've been doing this podcast that I'm the normal one and you're the eccentric one. But now that I've looked at it all written down, I've realised it's the other way around. <laughs> Welcome to the party, baby. We've been laughing at you for years. <laughs> Can I just, oh, God, I'm so out of time and I've got to go, but I just want to quickly do two things. One is you mentioning souffle reminded me of Paul Keating saying of the late Andrew Peacock that oh. a souffle never rises twice. Um, and it also reminded me of on the day that Andrew Peacock died, you sent me a thing I'd never seen before, which was a transcript <gasps> of a conversation between Paul Keating and Jeff Kennett. No, no, no. It was uh, Andrew Peacock oh, and sorry, Jeff Andrew Kennett. Oh, sorry, Andrew Peacock, yeah. Peacock and Jeff Kennett. The Kennett-Keating conversation would have been just as sweary but a Ken bit different. <laughs> Kennett's won uh, a state election and he's ramming it home to that C word Howard in this phone call with Peacock and just piling it on and Peacock's, um, <laughs> you know, and ex exhorting Kennett to be humble about it. Hold then, your flow. Hold your flow. That was just the great. Kennett at one point interrupts Peacock. He says, hold your flow. <laughs> just absolutely great. I'm going to say that to you. And also um, oh, just it can be found. We'll link to it. But, like, it is just a recording from that brilliant period after car phones became available and before they became unhackable. And when randoms had their scanners and you <gasps> so could just good. sort of scan around and some guy has like happened on this Camilla conversation. The Camilla Child tampon thing was the same oh, thing, right? Like yeah. that glorious period for journalism oh. where you could scramble Imagine people's mobiles. How, how exciting Brilliant. it must have been when you realised, oh, my God, I've got Jeff Kennett and Andrew Peacock oh. blasting the absolute, you know, what's out of John Howard. Um, and also we're really sadly out of time, so we'll have to bang it into the next um, pod. But um, I know that you've started watching the new season of MasterChef and yes. so I'm keen to hear a bit about that. Yep. Yep. Although my children are kind of like agonising between Lego Masters and MasterChef. And last night they had this big argument in front of me when the other options were your show, <laughs> the show that I'm in, like the um, old people's homes for young old people. And I'm like, wow, two of the favourite people in your lives have got shows on television and you don't want to watch either of them. You've done a terrible bastards. job of parenting. I certainly have.